This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. I wanted to thank you so much for um, for being here this morning and and uh, and being a part as uh, we celebrate the the resurrection of, of Jesus uh, here at Church of the Harvest. We're just a, we're a family of Christ followers. The, we recognize that the Lord has brought us together. Um, we are just a small expression of the body of Christ, but the Lord has brought us together here because we recognize that, that we're stronger together than we are individually, right? And so we join, we link arms to accomplish God's purposes uh, in the earth. And so, you know, uh, we, we gather together in community groups, small groups throughout the week, all over the area. Uh, but um, how many of you uh, still love Sundays when our community groups come here together to worship the Lord corporately? Awesome. Guys, um, as I say, we're just a small expression of the body of Christ, and, and, uh, and we, we just love God. We love our Father. We want to be just like Him, and because of that, we love people, and we serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. Well, guys, we've been pounding in the vision for the last couple of years. If you're part of the Harvest family, what is our vision? It is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that through what? Community, discipleship, and outreach. Guys, it is Easter Sunday. And today we celebrate something that Christians all over the world have been celebrating for over 2,000 years. The tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. Amen? The powers of darkness, of death, of hell, the grave have been defeated. And we worship the one who gave his life to give us life. Amen? So again, I, I welcome you from wherever you may be, whether you're here in person or I see we've got a good crew watching online this morning. Today we are going to celebrate the best news that the world has ever heard. And, and guys, here's the thing. You know the Easter message. You know the story of the resurrection of Jesus. But I, I kind of felt led to take this a little bit different direction this morning. And today's message is really going to be, it's going to be a message to, to those of us out there who find ourselves maybe discouraged and overwhelmed and, and um, honestly, maybe you're just sick and tired of life being out of control. And you might find yourself in a place where you're facing anxiety and fear and uncertainty. Guys, but there's only one person who is always faithful and always true and will never fail you. Amen? That is our risen Lord. So I'm calling today's message, Your Will Be Done. Everybody say, Your Will Be Done. And really, it's specifically to those of us who are out there, like I say, that are in this place where it feels like life has just been spinning out of control. That you don't have much control over your world. And, and so today, I, I pray that, the, that you'll get the revelation of the resurrection power of Jesus that conquers every every fear and all anxiety, all depression in your life in Jesus' name. How many of you received that? I, I pray that if you have not bowed your knee to the Lordship of Jesus, that today you will do so. So today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. So you can turn in your Bibles there if you have that, have that with you. I'm going to be jumping around in some different versions today. Um, and so you can follow along on the screen. Also, if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone or mobile device, you can open that. And uh, in the YouVersion Bible app, you can hit more and events. And when you hit that, it should uh, pop up and, and uh, the notes for today should pop up um, on your mobile device there. And you can follow along from there as well. But as we go into Matthew chapter 26, guys, I want to, um, we, we, I need to give you a, a, a little bit of, I need to set it up just a little bit first. So when 
kind of Matthew chapter 26 opens up. Um, this, is, this takes place uh, the evening right before Jesus was arrested. And he's gathered together with his closest friends. What do we call that moment? It was the Last Supper, right? He's gathered together. And so he, he's gathered together with his closest friends, his closest confidants, those that are, those that are in his inner circle. And, uh, and guys, this, this was Jesus' community group, right? He had all these people, but, but this, was, this was the close ones that he, that he gathered with. And, and so they're, they're here in this upper room, and they're eating, and they're talking, and Jesus begins to have this serious discussion with them. And he begins to talk to them and have this, this heartfelt conversation, because how many of you knew, how many of you know that Jesus knew exactly what was about to happen? He knew exactly what was about to happen. So for 33 years, Jesus has been walking the earth, and he has been dedicated to fulfilling and obeying the will of the Father with every breath that he took. Amen? And with that said, he knew what was about to come. And so he looks around at this table. I can picture him looking around at his closest friends, including Judas, right, who he knew was going to betray him in just a moment. And then, as we just did, he took the bread, right? And it says that he, he breaks the bread. And guys, we, we know where this story goes. We know in a few minutes he's going to be in the garden. Can you just imagine what Jesus felt in that moment? I can only imagine just kind of maybe that kind of the heaviness in the room as he breaks the bread. Can you guys picture it? He says, guys... This bread represents my body that's about to be broken for you. And he picks up that glass of wine and he says, this is the cup of the blood of, of the new covenant. He says, this represents my blood that's about to be shed for you. And he says, in the years to come, when you gather together, do this in remembrance of me. Right? Can you imagine this moment as he knows what's about to happen? Jesus knows what he's about to endure. We know that everything goes down with Judas. Jesus kind of calls him out. Brother leaves and goes to, goes to betray him. Jesus leaves. The disciples go with him, and they head to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And for those of you who don't know, Gethsemane means, it means crushing. And he says to his closest friends, he says to his disciples, he says, you guys sit here for a little bit and pray uh, while I go on ahead. And so, um, so he does that. He, he needs to get away. He needs to have some intimate time with the Father. And so we're going to start there. You're in Matthew chapter 26. We're going go to go to verse 36. And in verse 36 it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place, place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He's talking to Peter, James, and John, right? The Passion Translation, look what he says to them in verse 38 in the Passion Translation. It says, my heart is overwhelmed and crushed with grief. It feels as though I am dying. Stay here and keep watch with me. Guys, I believe that there's some of us here today 
your soul feels overwhelmed. It feels stressed out. It feels exhausted. It's full of anxiety. Guys, how many of you know that Jesus can relate on a much larger scale than we can? Jesus uses the strongest possible words here. If you go back and you break this down in, in the Greek, it, it, the, the word when he talks about this, his heart being overwhelmed and crushed. He, some versions say that it, it says, my heart, my soul aches. My, heart is, my soul is crushed. It's sorrowful. He says, I'm grieving. So overwhelmed, I feel like I'm going to die. Overwhelmed to the point of death. Luke tells us in just a moment, the next couple of verses, that, that in, in a moment when he, he goes to pray again that he's, that he's sweating, it says the sweat falls like great, great drops of blood. And they actually believe that it, it actually was blood. Uh, medical science tells us there's this extremely rare condition, right, called hematidrosis. We studied about this in ministry school. And, and it's basically, you have all these capillaries around your sweat glands, and they, what they, they believe that when somebody experiences hematidrosis, they're believed to be in extreme great agony, overwhelmed, possibly shaking uncontrollably. And those capillaries burst, and blood mixes with the sweat. Jesus is in pure agony. The Bible says he goes a little further. He falls with his face to the ground. Could you imagine, can you imagine Peter, James, and John when they see, see him walk off again? They've seen him for years as the one who raises the dead. Now they see him in pure agony on the ground. He stops, he falls to his knees, and he falls until his face touches the ground. Verse 39, go down to verse 39. It says, and when he went a little beyond them, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, you may wonder, what is the cup? I don't believe Jesus carried the cup from the upper room, okay? <laughs> it's what we refer to as the cup of suffering. And so he's saying, Father, basically, he's saying, Father, I know what I'm called to endure in the coming hours. And, 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 and I'm asking if there's any way that you could, you could remove this from me. If there's any way we could bypass this. I really, I really don't want to go through it. I know what it's going to entail, there's any way you could remove this from me. I don't want to go through this. He says, I'm begging you. I'm overwhelmed to the point of death. Please take it from me. But what's he say next? He says, yet. Yet not as I will, but your will be done. If we could bypass this, that would be awesome. <laughs> if not, your will be done. Let's go. What happens next? He, he goes back to the disciples and he finds them sleeping, right? You imagine it. Guys, I gave you one job to do. Just stay awake and pray. You couldn't do that one thing. Now, now in their defense, how many of you have fallen asleep praying before? Some of y'all just lying. Or you don't pray. <laughs> if you've ever tried to get up real early in the morning on a consistent basis, you've had a moment before. Okay. Jesus says, I need you to be with me. I need you to be awake. I need you to pray. I gave you one job. You know what I really find interesting here is that you've got Jesus who could raise the dead, heal the sick, could stomp, calm the storms, but he couldn't control the disciples, could he? Didn't have a lick of control over the disciples. Now, let me ask a question. How many of you would be honest enough to admit you'd like to be in control? 
I totally got my hand in the air, guys. <laughs> I mean, you like to be in control. You, you like to know what's, what, what to expect, and you like to be in control of your environment as much as possible. That's totally me, guys. I don't, I don't, I don't love surprises a whole lot. I like to know what to expect. I like to know what's coming. I like to be ready for it. Those of you who are like that, last couple of years has probably been a little bit of a struggle for you. And some of y'all are saying, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not controlling. I'm just very, 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 very organized. I'm aggressively helpful. <laughs> no, you're controlling. And you probably make the people around you nervous. Some of you are trying to convince yourself, I'm not controlling. You're looking at your spouse going, I'm not controlling, am I? And they're like, but you are. And guys, like I said a minute ago, probably most of us have felt at least a little disoriented over the last couple of years. You know, how of you would agree there has been a lot of fear? There's been a lot of fear-mongering. When you give a bee the name murder, murder hornet, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm just not going to be around long enough for a swarm to come. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping in a car, jumping, you know. <laughs> I understand they're deadly in a swarm, but to call it murder, that's stoking some fear right there. Even, even for those of us that were not consumed by fear over the last couple of years, how many of you would agree there was a lot of uncertainty in the world? What in the world is going on? Guys, by April of 2020, our kids were going, this is like a movie. What is happening to our world right now, Right? It was one thing after another, and things would happen, and, and people would respond, and the government would respond. And, th- and you're, How many of you are standing back going, what is even happening right now? There was a lot of frustration. Amen? You couldn't always go where you wanted to go and do what you wanted to do. Many people within our own church were losing jobs like crazy. For many of us, We were grieving, and what we were grieving was loss of control. We were used to being able to do what we wanted to do, and suddenly there's major disruptions in the world. Hey, you know, there have always been major disruptions in the world throughout all of history, and the church of Jesus has continued on. But there's all these disruptions and things happening, and most of us were really frustrated. Was I the only one? Seniors didn't get to go to prom or get to graduate. Or they had to graduate. They didn't get to walk stage. Sports canceled. Movies canceled. Social events canceled. What really bugged me was people who were dying in hospitals and didn't get to say goodbye to their loved ones. Give me a break. On top of all that, government and upheaval. I'd argue it still is. We need to pray. Utterly nuts. And through all this, we're trying to figure out what's going on, and we're not even sure who to believe or trust at this point, right? Uncertainty. I think really in the body of Christ, one of the things that the last couple of years has done is is recognize our fleshly need for control. But I would ask the question, were we ever really in control to begin with? Uh, years ago, there was a, uh, actually it was in the 70s, there was a UCLA researcher by the name of Ellen Longer. And, um, and she, she talked about what she called the illusion of control. How many of you have heard of that? 
the illusion of control. She said, she defined it this way. She said the illusion of control is the cognitive bias that leads us to believe we have control over an outcome when we really don't. Leads us to believe that we have control over an outcome when we really don't. It's the bias to think that we control more than we actually do. We overestimate our ability to control things around us when it's really a bunch of uncontrollable events and things that are happening. How many of you know that things happen in this world that are beyond our control? Amen? So there's a big problem with this. There's a big problem with this illusion of control that we tend to think that we have. Um, I don't know if you've, any of you have ever dealt with this, but how many of you know that the more we try to control, the more we fear loss of control? And the more we fear lo- loss of control, the more we try to control. And the more we try to control, the more we fear loss of control. And it's an endless cycle that leads you into a bad place, right? I think many people today are grieving loss Uh, not just of real control, but the illusion of control. Anyway, so Jesus comes back to the disciples. He finds them asleep. He he wakes them up, kind of gets onto them, wakes them up, and tells them, guys, he says, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. He says, wake up, watch and pray, right? And then he goes away to pray some more. And so if you go down to verse 42, In verse 42, it says, again, a second time, he went away and he prayed saying, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, everybody say it together, your will be done. Your will be done. To me, I think we we really see the humanity of Jesus in this moment in the garden. He goes back and he asks the father again, doesn't he? He says, if we can do it a different way, I'd love to do it a different way. Yet, not my will, your will be done. Jesus was completely willing to let go of control and absolutely surrender to the Father. Now, one thing I added yesterday to this I thought of is, we, in the church of Jesus, we've almost gotten this impression that control is a bad thing. Guys, how many of you know one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control? Right? And so we've got to remember that because part of self-control is us being responsible for ourselves and our lives, right? It's it's remembering that, recognizing that the Holy Spirit empowers us to control the way that we think and the way that we act and the way we react and the way we interact with others around us. We are called to control our soul, right? Our mind, our will, our emotions. We're called to renew it with the Word of God. That's a choice. We're in control, right? Right? Now, how do you know you're not called to control others? <laughs> Spouses are like, amen. Not called to control others. God gave you a free will to be in control of your own life and did the same for others. And you're not called to control your environment. You can influence it, but you can't control it, right? So, for those of you out there that can sometimes be a little bit of a control freak, <laughs> I've got three points. I pray as an encouragement to you. Three things I want to talk to you about right quick. Number one, you don't always have the ability to control, but you always have the ability to surrender. You don't always have the ability to control things in life, but you always have the ability to surrender. You know, one of the questions I found that people, especially outside of the body of Christ, ask, actually the body of Christ asks this as well. Even, especially in times of crisis, people say, 
where is God? Where is God? Where is God when all these Ukrainian civilians are getting massacred by Russia? What is God doing while all these people are dying of this disease? Where was God when this kid was being abused? What was God doing sitting by watching while this tornado ripped through this community and died? Have you ever heard that before? They start asking these kind of questions. Did God cause these things? Is it a punishment because of sin? Did God allow it? Where is God when life is hard? How many of you know that these questions really reveal a wrong perspective in us, really, is what it does? Researchers did a, did a study on young adults in the United States, the, the next younger generation. How many of you in here under the age of 30? All the youngins, under the age of 30. Here's what they found about the younger generation under the age of 30. They found that the default religion, when it comes to talking about Christianity, really, the default beliefs in the United States for those under 30 is something they labeled MTD, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. So on average, the younger generation will believe some version or variation of moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, what in the world is that? Let me break it down real quick. Moralistic. This Essentially, it equates religion with being a good, moral, upright person. Sounds good. So for the younger generation, the typical belief would be that if you're like a religious person, then you're good and you're kind and you're nice. You're moral. You're not going to judge. You're not going to be arrogant. You're going to kind of help other people. You're not going to just live for yourself. You're going to be a moral, nice person. Moralistic. Then we got therapeutic. Now, we have an idea of what therapeutic means, but here, when it's talking in relation to faith, it says that faith is a means to improve your life. In other words, if you're a religious person, they believe your religion should make you better. And, and actually, it's, it's a little beyond that. Actually, it's, it's like if I surrender my life to God, really what it's saying is my life should be easier because of my faith in God. And then we have deism. Deism is the belief that God is real. That's a good thing. But it goes on to say that it, it doesn't really believe that he is involved in your life, except for maybe every now and then when you really, really need him. It's like he's out there, but he's not necessarily going to get involved in your everyday life. He's just, he's there. Moralistic therapeutic deism. And so, to summarize, basically, the most common belief in the next generation is that a, a, a mostly uninvolved God exists to make my life easier. How many of you know that's a big problem? Because that's not what the word says at all. Suddenly we got people that are going through life and they think because I believe in God, because I go to church on occasion, because I crack open the Bible every once in a while, because I'm a good person, well, all's good. My faith in God, it should make me happy, healthy, comfortable, and trouble-free. How many of you know that is not how it works? It's not how it works. God never promised that. Here's one of the biggest problems with this mindset. If you believe this, what happens when you're not happy? When your life is not trouble-free? What happens? Then either God has failed you 
or you're not worthy. You're not worthy of his help. If God wants my life to be, be, be better and easier and trouble-free and all of a sudden I've got obstacles and troubles and trials, then either God has failed, he's let me down, or I jacked something up along the way. And that's just not the way it works, guys. That's why people today now will say, well, I tried, I tried religion. I, I tried praying. I, I went to church for a while. I, you know, it just didn't work out. Life was still so hard. You know, I tried being a Christian. I tried being a spiritual person. And, you know, and my life was just still so difficult. He never promises it's going to be easy. Guys, surrendering to God doesn't mean that everything's going to change after you surrender to him. Your circumstances in the natural are probably going to look pretty much the same the day after you surrendered as they did the day before. You may be a single person before you surrender to Jesus, desperate for a spouse. The moment you surrender to him, you're still single. If you have marriage troubles the day you surrender to Jesus, you still got marriage troubles the day afterwards. If you were broke the day before you surrendered to Jesus, you're still broke the day after you surrendered to Jesus. Right? Troubles don't vanish because we say yes to Jesus. Now, how many of you know as you surrender more and more, God's favor and your obedience will cause you to begin to prosper in areas of your life, right? But how many of you know there will still be troubles out of your control? First point, you don't always have to be, you don't, you don't always have the ability to control, but you always have the ability to surrender. Number two, second thing I want to mention, God's will is seldom easy, but it's always good. It's seldom easy. Guys, being in God's will may not feel good in a moment. But God, the Bible promises God is working all things together for the good. Those who love him are called according to his purposes. That have bowed their knee and surrendered and said yes to Jesus. His word is seldom easy, but it's always good. In fact, we see this for Jesus. It was not easy for Jesus. Actually, if we go back, let's, just, let's look at Mary for a moment. How easy was it for her? We talked about this a little bit last year. The angel appears to her. In, in, in Luke, it talks about the angel appears to her and says, you're going to be a child. You're going to give birth to a son, and his name is going to be Jesus, and he's going to be the Savior of the world. And you know, it's funny because Mary's response was basically the same as Jesus' is in the garden. Jesus said, your will be done. What did Mary say? She said, may it be done unto me according to your will. Lord, whatever your will is, I want your will. That's what she says, right? It's a prayer, as a response of surrender to the Father. Was it easy for her? No. We talked about this. First, she's pregnant outside of marriage. That was far less acceptable in her day and age than it is today. She could have been stoned to death. And then you had Joseph who didn't even believe her to begin with this whole, you know, you know angel in the promise deal, you know. But they sorted that out. The Lord worked it out. And she and Joseph go on to raise a fine young man. They walked with him. They took care of him. They raised him in the ways of the Lord. And Jesus grows into adulthood absolutely perfect in every way. Amen? So what was her reward for that? Well, she watched him strip naked and suffering for the sins that he didn't commit. She watched her son breathe his last breath in utter agony on the cross. And how many of you know there wasn't one thing she could do about it? Not one thing. 
except stand by and watch. And how many of you know that hanging on the cross, Jesus was in the center of God's perfect will? Right in the center of it. We think that things go bad for us and that we're no longer in God's will anymore. Tell that to Jesus. He was hanging on the cross. His will is rarely easy, but it's always good. How many of you know, guys, Jesus never wronged anybody. He never stepped out of the Father's will. He never allowed his flesh to take control. He was completely sinless, holy, and perfect in every way. Yet he was betrayed by one of his very own, right? He was beaten senseless until he wasn't even recognizable as a man. He was whipped on his back with a whip that had, had, had glass and bone and rock woven into the leather, ripping his flesh open until probably his internal organs were exposed. He didn't do anything wrong. He lost so much blood he could barely stay conscious. He had to carry his own cross. Then he was publicly humiliated, stripped again, stakes put through his wrists and his feet. He died on a cross, an innocent man. He did nothing more than show love to the world. You know, what's really interesting to me in this as we talk about control is that, how of you know, Jesus did have the power to take control. If you go on down to verse 53 there in Matthew 26, in verse 50, I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. It says, he, and he's talking to Peter. Remember, they, they're, they're arresting him. Peter goes all nuts, pulls out the sword, starts swinging the sword around. Jesus is like, put it up. He says, don't you realize that I could ask my heavenly father for angels to come at any time and deliver me? He said, and instantly he would answer me by sending 12 armies of the angelic host to come and protect us. But look at verse 54. But that would thwart the prophetic plan of God, for it has been written that it would happen this way. At any moment, the Bible says Jesus could have called on 12 legions of angels. A Roman legion was, was 6,000 6, soldiers. He could have called on 72,000 angel warriors in a moment. Guys, I'd have been laying it down right there. I'm going to be like, let's go. Come on, bring it. I mean, it would have been a massacre probably if I had been there in that moment. I've been calling on the angels. How many of y'all have been calling on the angels in that moment? Not Jesus. I'd at least turn them into warty toads or something. I had to do something. He could have taken control in a moment, but instead he chose to surrender. So what does Jesus do? As creation was mocking the creator, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And he said, Lord, Father, it's finished. I've completed what you sent me to do. And the last act of ultimate surrender he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And it says he gave up his life. Guys, he was sinless. Nobody could take his life. He had to give his life. What happens next? The world goes dark. The earth shakes. The temple veil is torn in two. The disciples scatter. God's plan, his will is rarely easy. But three days later, three days later, the Father would reveal that he and his plan are always good, always, always perfect. We know some of the ladies, they go to the tomb, go check on things, and the stone in front of the tomb opening had been rolled away, and they went inside, 
And Jesus was not there, right? Because God had raised him from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave once and for all time. How many of you know that before there could be salvation for us, there was sacrifice for Jesus? God's will is not always easy, but it's always good. And why did God do all this? So that anyone, including me or you, can call on the name above every name, the name of Jesus at which every knee will bow. The best news the world has ever heard had to start with a sacrifice on Jesus' part. What will God do? The Bible says when you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, right? And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you call in the name of Jesus and he heals your brokenness. He takes away your shame. He makes you brand new. He, 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 a new creation is what it says. It, he doesn't give you an extreme makeover. It's not, like, it's not like you're just a better version of yourself. He makes you brand new. He gives you a brand new spirit. The old is gone because of the love and the grace and the goodness of God. God did something for us that we can't ever, we could never do for ourselves in a thousand lifetimes. We could never save ourselves. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't be righteous enough. That's why God sent Jesus without sin, amen, to come and to give his life, to shed his innocent blood that we could be forgiven. Guys, you don't always have the ability to control most circumstances in this life, but you always have the ability to surrender to the will of God. The question is, what is it you're trying to control in this life that you weren't called to control? What is it you're trying to control that God wants you to surrender to him? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your finances, your job, your 401k. Maybe it's your future. People are going, what are we going to do? What does the future hold? I don't know. But surrender it. Surrender to the will of the Father. Do what he's told you to do. God's will is rarely easy but it's always good. Last thing I want to mention before we go, number three, is partial surrender is not true surrender. Partial surrender is not true surrender. You ever had anybody sing, I surrender 81.7%. I surrender. That's not the way it works, guys. If, think somebody came up to you, you're downtown Memphis, you're eating some rendezvous ribs, you walk out in that alley, and somebody comes up to you with a gun and says, hands in the air, give me everything you got. And you're like, you know what? My right shoulder kind of hurts. I'm going to lift my left arm and take whatever you want, just not my wallet or my phone, okay? No, you surrender. You're like, dude, take whatever you want and let me go, right? Surrender. There's no such thing as partial surrender. You surrender or you don't. Now, how many of you know, as we walk through this life, the Holy Spirit reveal more and more things to us that we need to surrender? That we recognize along the way, wow, I haven't surrendered this part of my life. I haven't surrendered this part of my past. I haven't surrendered this part of my mind. And, and, and we need to do that, amen? We do, it, we do it immediately. A partial surrender is not true surrender. Well, God, I trust you with these things, but I'm going to keep this over here kind of to myself, you know? Lord, I trust you to save me. But I'm going to kind of stay in control of my kids. Lord, I, I trust you to get me to heaven, but I'm not going to trust you with my job or my health or my loved ones or whatever it may be. It's not the way it works. But it's the way many times we live. And we've got to surrender. If we go back again here in just a minute for, to verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 39 in Matthew 26. Look at it again. It says, and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face 
and prayed, saying, my father, if, everybody say if, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Everybody say yet, yet, not as I will, but as you will. Guys, between the word if and the word yet, I was thinking that's really where true faith begins. That's where we got to really extend our faith and prove what we're made of in that moment. Many times we start by praying what our flesh wants. How many of you know there's, there's nothing wrong with praying for things that you want in this life? Especially outside, I'm talking about outside of the promises, the things are already promised to us in the Word. There's nothing wrong with praying. But people get in this place and then it's joked about, you know, oh God, if you'll just let me marry Susie Lou, she's so pretty. I promise I'll follow you forever. Oh God, this new company is opening up and I, th- I think they're awesome. If you'll get me that new job, I promise I'll be at church every Sunday. It's like, what? God, if you'll make sure I'm not one of those in my company who I hear is about to be laid off, I'll such and such, such and such. It's not the way it works, guys. There's nothing wrong with praying for things, but it should always be followed up by your will be done. What if you're praying for a job that he doesn't want you to have? You're praying for it. Now you think he's failed you because you didn't get it. No, he'd been setting you up for a promotion where you were at, right? We had to say, Father, your will be done. We got to surrender. You don't always have the ability to be in control, but you always have the ability to surrender. And here's the problem. Our society lures us in this way to be in control in ways that are contrary to God's word. Our society tells us today, culture tells us, says, you take control. You take charge. You make it happen. Be a self-made man. You're like, yeah, I don't need anybody. You can't control me. And that's not the way the kingdom of God works at all. The kingdom of God is about surrender. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 39, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Look at it from the Passion Translation. It says, all who seek to live apart from me will lose it all, but those who let go of their lives for my sake and surrender it all to me will discover true life. In other words, guys, to really follow Jesus is to surrender control. And how many of you know That's a real problem for many of us today. How many of you would say in your life sometimes it's hard to surrender control? I I have no problem being up here and having to be an only hand in the air. (laughs) Because I know it's an issue. As a matter of fact, before we close, I'm going to share with you guys something. um, I'm going to share with you guys something real personal that almost nobody in this room knows about. Because I think that some of you guys can relate to this. Um. March 2018, I had the first of probably two, what can only be described as um, panic attacks. I don't know how many of you have ever been there before. I, um, I could, looking back now, I can see the warning signs a good year earlier or so, but I really didn't understand um, what was going on in that moment because I always thought panic, like a panic attack was um, fear and worry um, of a situation or whatever it may be. And I, I would have never described myself that way, a person who walked in fear and worry and, and, and that kind of thing. And so it kind of had me, it, it really had me puzzled. But what happened on this night in, in 2018, me and Sean and the kids, were, we were in a hotel room. It was spring break. We're on vacation. Guys, there was nothing to be fearful, nothing to be worried about. Nothing. Everybody went to sleep, and I couldn't sleep, which had become a normal thing for me for about two years. And I'm laying there, and my heart began beating faster and faster 
and faster. And my mind was racing, not, not worrying, just, I just, I just couldn't slow it down. I just kind of started praying. And it moved faster and faster. And the next thing I knew, I had chills. I was, getting, I was cold, but I started sweating profusely. And I started to tremble. And I was like, what in the world? And so I just started praying. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> I had no idea what this was. I didn't want to wake anybody up, so I went in the bathroom. Guys, I ended up curled up in a ball on the floor of this hotel room bathroom in 2018. Shaking, trembling, heart rate. I thought my heart was going to beat out of my chest. I, stopped. I was like, am I having a heart attack? What is this? It came to a point where I, I was like, I just asked the Lord. I was like, Lord, am I dying? Almost woke Sean up to take me to the ER. But I, I, I just, I knew that I needed to stand against this thing. And so I just prayed and I prayed and I pressed in and I came against it and I laid there and I mean, every muscle in my body just tense and it slowly let up. Slowly, slowly. And finally had peace. But guys, this shook me. If you've ever experienced it before, shook me, man. I, I was like, wow. I mean, cause it feels like you're gonna die. In a moment. It was alarming. So what do I do? I immediately began pursuing freedom. <laughs> I was like, Lord, you got to help me here because something's wrong. And, uh, and so I began pursuing freedom. I got into the word like I'd never gotten into the word. Months later, I began to lay out. And some of you started going through the word with us each year. And we went into the story the next year. I mean, I, I was like, oh, we're going into the word like never before I am. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, but I needed to know what this was. I went to my doctor and, and she said that my Everything showed that my stress levels were out the roof, and it was causing inflammation all throughout my body. She recommended that I get a counselor and find somebody to talk to to begin to talk this thing out and figure out what changes I need to begin to make in my life. And I, after searching, I found a good Christian counselor that I, I talked to for a while, and she's a sweet lady. What I finally realized was this, though, guys. This is the point I'm coming to. The thing that was stressing me out was my need for control. Now, most people here probably would not say that they view me as a controlling person. I'm not generally one that's trying to just control others, but I realized that I was much more controlling than I wanted to admit. I was very much tightly hanging on to and tightly controlling my life and my environment around me. So much so that I couldn't sleep. So much so that it was leading me into a panic. My family can certainly attest to it. I tightly control my life and what goes on around me, which sounds good, but have you know, we can take things to such extremes. And I, I've told you guys before that I have to keep my mind in check because my mind can race, always trying to figure things out. I'm one that I think about what I've got to do, and then I think about what could possibly be the outcomes of that. And I come up with contingency for everything. Any of you like that? And then you think, well, if I do that, this could also happen. And so I need a contingency for that. And you got all these things laid out, and it drives you nuts, and you spend two and a half hours sitting there thinking about something that's stupid. For me, it can be as simple as driving somewhere. I'm on the way, and I'm thinking, okay, which way am I going to go? Okay. And so here's my mind. I'm sitting there going, okay, if I go this way, oh, it's almost rush hour time. You know, it might be. But if I go this other way, oh, sometimes there's a train there this time of day. If I go this way, there's more miles, but I might get there at the same time, but I might be late. I, and my mind won't stop. It's like, stop. Just pick a way home. Right? Guys, I recognize that it was completely about control. When you try to control things you're not meant to control, especially things you have no control over, it'll lead you into panic because you weren't meant to carry that. At this point in my life, I'm determined to do what I can do 
what God has equipped me to do within reason and surrender the rest to God. That's all we can do. Any place where I can add value, any place I can make a difference, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to lead. But anywhere I can't control, which how many of you know is many, if not most places in this life, I'm going to surrender it to God. I'm going to say, Lord, this is yours. I used to get worked up about things that were going on in your lives. Yeah, I'd be praying, and then I'd be awake at night thinking about it. I was like, I can't do that anymore. Can't do it. Had to surrender it to God. And guys, I've realized that surrender is not a one-time event. Surrender is a daily choice that we make. There's, guys, I encourage you to start your day saying, Lord, I don't know what this day holds in front of me. But I trust you. I want to say in advance that, that I trust you whatever may come. I know you're with me. You surrender your day to him. And as I surrendered more and more control to him, guys, the panic left. I haven't been close since 2019, 2020. Sometimes I can recognize that it's coming on a little bit, and I stop, and I breathe, and I surrender the situation to Jesus. And how you know, getting that figured out by the time 2020 started was a good deal. It's a real good deal. It's a good deal. Because that, that was a couple of stretching years for those of us who have some control issues sometimes. Guys, in closing, I've discovered that God can do so much with your surrender than he can do with your control. You don't always have the ability to control, but you always have the ability to surrender. Those of you who are trying so hard to be in control and you don't know how to let go, we got to follow the example of Jesus. What was the example of Jesus? Well, think about yourself first. When you try to control things, you try to stand tall and stand firm no matter what comes. I'm holding my ground. I'm staying here. And you try to, like, in your own strength, you try to endure and to stand. When we see Jesus fell to his knees. You bend your knee. You bow. And you surrender to the will of the Father. The same way that Jesus did in that moment when it says that he was overwhelmed. His soul was overwhelmed even unto death. He knelt down before the Father and showed this great display of faith between the if and the then. If you could do this, that would be cool. Yet, your will be done. Whatever you're trying to control, that isn't yours to control. Guys, give it to him. Give it to him. His will is not always easy, but it's always good. He suffered, he died. God raised him from the dead that we might have life. And because of that, we worship a good heavenly father who will never leave us or forsake us. You don't always have the ability to control, but you always have the ability to surrender, just like Jesus did. Surrender to the one who gave you life. And so I ask, guys, that you make that your prayer this Resurrection Sunday. Father, your will be done in every area of my life. And I willingly give you control from this day forward. Amen? Let me invite the worship team to come up as we close. I'm going to ask everybody to just stand up on their feet before we dismiss. I know some of y'all got some family Easter plans and some good food in the oven and whatnot. But I'm going to ask you to bear with me for just a couple more minutes. Ask everybody in this place, if you would, just bow your head with me for just a minute. Now just bow your head before the Lord.
Guys, have you surrendered, first and foremost, have you surrendered your heart and life to Jesus? Have you come to a place in your life where you know if you died today that you would go straight to heaven? If you were to stand before God this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, and he was to ask, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? Well, I've been a good person. Moralistic. Well, that's good. Well, I went to church. Well, I I gave. I gave to the Ukrainian relief. Guys, we are not saved by works. We're saved because of the grace and the goodness of our God. You can never do enough good things to earn heaven. You can never do enough good things to earn sonship, daughtership in the kingdom. You can never be righteous enough to repair your relationship with the Father. But Jesus already did it for you. He already paid the price. When all that you and I deserved was hell and death, Jesus deserved everything. But he went to the cross, and what did he do? He gave us what he deserved, and he took on himself what we deserved. It's what we call the great exchange. Is it too good to be true, as Miss Velda would say? Is it too good to be true? (laughs) Sure seems like it. But it's not. It's reality. When the angel sang, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, the good news that God is not mad at you. He made a way. All you've got to do is bow your knee and surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Accept his sacrifice as your own. You don't have to do all these works, do all these things to get approval from God. Jesus already did it. You just got to accept it. Don't shun him. Stop walking away from him. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're working in hearts right now. Come against condemnation. I come against shame. Commanded to leave this place in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for your love engulfing each and every one in this place and watching online guys it is as simple as what I just told you it's as simple as confessing your sin admitting to the Lord Lord I'm a sinner but your word promises you're faithful and just to forgive me and so I receive your forgiveness today and then calling on the name of Jesus asking him to be Lord of your life Guys, it's more than words. It's bowing your knee. I'm I'm metaphorically talking about bowing your heart, bowing your life, putting your old life behind you and saying, Jesus, I'm following you and your way and your desires and your will every day for the rest of my life from this day forward. No turning back. 
It's full surrender. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer. And, 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 and listen, I, I, don't, I don't care if you've prayed a prayer before. I don't, know, I don't care if you prayed a prayer in vacation Bible school when you were six. You know right now whether your heart is surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. Who are you living for? Are you living for yourself or are you living for him? Guys, we've all been at this place, this place of decision. You may have prayed it 20 times before, but you know that you need right now, you need to bow your knee again. You need to surrender. I'm gonna pray a prayer. You can pray with me if you want. You can pray something similar. This is between you and God. It's not so much about the words. It's about the posture of your heart. The Bible says that if you surrender, you will be saved, that you'll be forgiven. And eternal life does not start when you get to heaven. Eternal life starts the moment you say yes to Jesus. And all of God's promises are yours now in the earth and for all eternity. No, your troubles won't all be gone in a moment. But you're going to have the creator of the universe walking with you. And I can assure you everything's going to be okay. He wants to be very involved in your life. If that's you, every head bowed. Anybody in here, just lift your hand if you would say, I need to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus today. Anybody in this place, lift your hand so I can see. I need to surrender to Jesus today. Okay, awesome. Who else, guys? I see two. You two guys can put your hands down. Anybody else? Okay. There may be some of you watching on the live stream. Guys, Jesus is there right now. The Holy Spirit, that's him who's drawing you right now. Pray this prayer with us. Just say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus because I am lost. I am, I am utterly bankrupt. I owe a debt that I can never repay in a thousand lifetimes. I'm a sinner. But today I confess my sin. And I bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I believe you're the perfect Lamb of God. I believe you came and paid that debt that I couldn't pay. I thank you for the great exchange, for taking my sin and my shame and my guilt and taking it to the grave. Say, Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Lord from this day forever. I'll follow you to the end. And just say this to the Holy Spirit. Just say, Holy Spirit, fill me now. Empower me to be everything you've called me to be. That I can fulfill God's will in strength and power and authority in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, if that's you and you prayed that prayer today, I know we had a couple of guys who prayed that. I'm going to ask you at the end of service, come down, meet me. Uh, we're going to have our prayer partners down front. Uh, come talk to somebody. And we're, we're going to invite everybody, anybody wants to, to come down for prayer here in just a minute, moment. But come down and talk to us and uh, let us give you a little bit of direction. If you need a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. If you want to be water baptized next week, we'll get you water baptized. But this is the best decision you could ever make in your life. The Bible says that when one person bows their knee to Jesus, all heaven rejoices. Best decision you ever make in your life. Guys, as we close, I want us to sing this, this chorus. I don't know, it sounds like awesome God behind me. <laughs> he is an awesome God. Guys, it's time to surrender control. The body of Christ would be in a much different state today if we all truly surrendered control. 
I invite you as we sing here for just a moment. You may need to, you may need to literally fall on your knees and say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender that relationship. I surrender my job. I surrender my finances. I surrender my health. I surrender my kids. All for the Lord, that thing that you've held back, that's so concerning you, that has you so, so tight <laughs> that you just can't relax. Surrender it to him and allow him to do what he wants to do. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.